0: Well, then, to the Ots and Audible's podcast, I'm Matt Priam. Eric Scopel is with me, as always, on the show. You're listening to this one. That means it's a preview show. We are finally there. We release this on Fridays, so it's the day before the day when we're recording it. But it could be as much as Saturday. You might be listening to this one on, on Saturday, getting you yourself ready for the college football uh, weekend. Uh, there's certainly tons to watch for, uh, for wow there's certainly tons to watch for for oregon you know they're they're going uh back into otten stadium their second to last game of the year at home uh seven thirty kickoff saturday night games gonna be broadcast by espn dave pash uh greg mcelroy tom lugenbill for espn will be here uh arizona coming in loses of four straight games eric uh, they're four and five, two and four on the Pac-12. Oregon is sixth in the College Football Playoff rankings. Uh, they are eight and one on the season. They've obviously won eight straight. They're six and zero in Pac-12 play, and a win Saturday night ensures mathematically that Oregon makes the college uh, makes the Pac-12. Excuse me, makes the Pac-12 North uh, Championship. They win that. They get to the Pac-12 Championship game no matter what happens against Arizona State, no matter what happens against Oregon State. So while Oregon isn't p- facing a marquee opponent, there's still plenty, plenty to play for in this football game.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and we, we should say that Arizona probably feels like they have a lot to play for, too. Just, I mean, obviously they're not in the division race in the South. That comes down to – Utah, USC, and UCLA still has an outside chance if they were to win out because they play both the teams ahead of them in the standings. Um, but I think Arizona wants to finish the season on a better note, and a win in Eugene for them would be a humongous accomplishment. So I think you're going to see both programs pretty focused and dialed in. They both come off bye weeks, which is a little unusual typically. One team is coming off bye. The other one played the previous week, but that's not the case this week. I think I kind of prefer it that way. That way it's kind of everything's even in terms of the preparation um, but, yeah, you're right. There's a ton for Oregon here. Uh, I mean, this is this is a game that they should win. They're the better team. I don't think – I mean, you run down the statistics, it's hard to find an argument that Arizona's really better at much of anything. Uh, maybe you can argue uh, that they're I, – I don't actually – I don't even know. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to think of a part of what Arizona does that's better than what Oregon does, and I'm really kind of coming up short because statistically Oregon is just so much better – Across the board, they've got the better offense, they've got the better defense, special teams, they've been better. Um, they've, that's the reason they're favored by so many points in this one. So, uh, I I think it's it's interesting in terms of like, we, we should also note that like, there have been weird outcomes in these Oregon Arizona games. Matt had a great stat from Thursday's show of there's been three, the last three times Oregon's been ranked and Arizona's been unranked in these meetings, Arizona's pulled the upset. And I don't expect that to be the case, but, um, there've been kind of odd things that happen. It's also at 7:30 kickoff. Pack you know, past Pac-12 after dark. dark. Sometimes weird stuff happens. I know. I, I'll speak selfishly here. I'm kind of tired of these 7:30 kickoffs because for for Matt and I, not to complain right. too much, cause we have we have a job we both love, but we end up getting off the. We end up getting home probably after two in the morning, uh, and I'm sure people that make the drive from Portland kind of feel that and can kind of also understand that pain because it will be a late night. But, yeah, again, a lot to, I think a lot to look forward to in terms of the storylines here. And for Oregon, obviously a win here, one step closer to uh, possibly making the playoff. And, obviously, they would lock up the Pac-12 North division, which really, in all honesty, is already locked up. But mathematically, they need to at least win this game to get there.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it would take a crazy bit of help. And Oregon State's the only team in the Pac-12 North that can still catch Oregon. Um that would require Oregon State to beat Arizona State this weekend, uh, win another game, can't remember who, who they have to play after Arizona State, and then beat Oregon. And oh, by the way, they also need to have, uh, Oregon continue to lose all three of their, of their final games for them to get into the conference championship game. Uh, and if Oregon just wins one game, it's over. And so, for Oregon's perspective, it's go into this football game and and win, and you've secured the north. You are king of the north, if you will. Um, from an injury standpoint, Oregon basically Eric is as healthy as possible, right? Like, I mean, there's guys hurt. Jacob Breland's out for the year. Um, you've got Gus Cumberlander who's out for the year. Who, by the way, just you know did his uh first steps post op without you know boots on and all that. Um Oregon got some guys hurt, but in terms of the day-to-day, week-to-week type stuff, there isn't anyone out there that that's hurt.
1: I mean, we usually post a an injury update after Monday's uh, media with Mario, his press conference on Monday, and then another one on Wednesday as we get closer to the game, a second update. But we didn't even feel the need to do that this week because Mario basically glossed over it and was like, yeah, we're healthy. We're good to go. Everyone's practicing. Uh, that should be practicing. So yeah, I mean, there's, there isn't, and I'm, I'm again knocking furiously on wood right now because, you know, it, the, the injury luck has been pretty, pretty, you know, it's been Oregon's favor since I would say fall camp, Um and, and I, well, that's not totally true because they lost Breland and Cumberland during the season, but basically since the the Colorado game uh, where Breland went down, they've been very very fortunate in terms of the injury luck. So again, I'm knocking furiously on wood right now that that stays the same because you hate to see anybody go down, but right now things are like. Things are pretty good in terms of the health of this team. Um, you know, there's not really anyone that we're leading up to this game going like, well, he'll be a, a kickoff decision. I think the closest thing you have to somebody who is clearly hurt right now is Troy Dye, but he played against USC. He's had now a couple weeks to get healed up. He, we spoke with him at media on Wednesday. He, you know, he still has his his hand bandaged up and uh, pretty good. And, and clearly that's going to be something where he's not like a hundred percent in terms of like, it's I'm sure he's going to, if the ball's thrown right at him, I don't know if he's necessarily going to really catch it because he's got a, he's got a pretty big uh, cast on his, it was like a bright, like neon yellow cast that matched his bright neon yellow mouth guard. We noticed, but he, he's not somebody that you, is in any, I don't think there's any questions. He's, he's going to play. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. So like, yeah, there's just not a whole lot from the injury perspective to actually talk about. So if you're an Oregon fan, you feel pretty good about that, I think.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, that's mid November and you, you have, you have injuries like everybody, but you don't have these week to weeks type stuff, which is an insane luxury, uh, to have for any kind of football program at any level at this point in the football season. So going into this one relatively healthy is, Pretty big. That means guys like Dallas Warmack who did not play against USC, is good to go. That means Troy Dye is more comfortable in, with playing with his club on. Uh, C.J. Ferdell is back after missing the second half of USC because of an injury. Um, you've got a couple minor dings and, and, and whatnot from offense and defensive guys. And the only thing that I guess that that we do know is Nick Pickett is not going to be able to – to play in the first half of the Arizona football game because of a suspension that's mandated by the NCAA because he was called for targeting in the second half of the USC football game, which by rule states if you get called for a targeting call and are ejected from the football game in the second half of a game, you then must miss the first half of the next game. If you get called for that same play in the first half, you miss all of the game and you can come back uh, in, into the game, uh, next time out. Which doesn't make any sense to me because, like, let's say on the last play of the first half, you get called for targeting. You can come back and, and play the next week. Whereas if the last play of the game, uh, against whoever you get called for targeting, you, you, you have to miss the next half. It just doesn't make sense. It's, I don't like the rule in terms of suspension whatnot. But the reality is Nick Pickett's out, and Brady Breeze will earn his first career start at the safety position.
1: Yeah, and it's, I think it's exciting for, for Brady to get that opportunity. And we should mention, like, if are I don't want to diminish Nick Pickett's role on this team because he's a, he's been basically a three-year starter. He's a critical part in the secondary. But Brady Breeze is about as good of a backup as you're going to find at that position in the conference. I mean, he was, he was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Week in that game in USC where, where Pickett was ejected and uh, he made some of those plays while Pickett, you know, prior to Pickett's ejection, while Pickett was still available to play. So, I mean, they kind of have been playing together on and off all season. They've been kind of splitting reps. So good for Brady, I think, to get an opportunity to, to make his first career start. I know he said after the USC game that he was excited for that opportunity, you know, that he, he's been in this program for a while now. This is something he's always wanted to do as a, you know, the, the nephew of Chase Cota, who was a star safety at Oregon a while ago. He's always someone who grew up, uh, an Oregon fan. And I think this is going to be pretty cool for him to make his first career start at Austin to hear his name called with the starters. Um, uh, you know, a kid from the, in, you know, from inside the state borders. Uh, it's a cool story in that regard, but yeah, I think losing Pickett, you don't want to overlook that either. He's a very good safety and it gets to offense, which we'll talk about it more on the show. Like we don't necessarily know he's starting at quarterback for Arizona, but if Grant Gunnell is the quarterback, um, the expectation is he'll be throwing the ball a lot, that they'll be kind of going with an air raid offense again, and once again, that could potentially be a situation where someone like Breeze and Pickett is called to play a, a ton of snaps and run a lot, and you'd probably love to have a, a, one of those guys out there just to kind of help with the rest, so I, I assume we'll probably see Breeze obviously play the most of, an, if not the entire first half, and then when Pickett's available in the second, he'll be able to at least give Breeze a, a breather, depending upon how he's playing, and uh, but it is interesting. It's certainly notable. But like we said earlier, I think – or like I said earlier, I think honestly like Birdie Breeze is about as good of a backup player as you could replace at a position on the like the entire roster. Uh He's an experienced player. He's played at a high level. He's forced a lot of turnovers this season. I, I don't expect it's going to be a massive step back from, from Pickett to Breeze on Saturday.
0: One item of note is that this week, um, obviously with Arizona week, A lot of the, the attention that we've given to the team, a lot of the attention that other media outlets, uh, that cover this football team have talked a lot about last year's performance in which, uh, it was a game where, look, the reality is, is Oregon was not competitive in, in this football game. You know, last time they played was last year in Tucson, you know, Halloween weekend thereabouts. Oregon was 19th in the country. Arizona was, un- was unranked, and Oregon got smacked. It w- they were embarrassed. They were not competitive. It was the one game all year in which uh, Oregon was just not competitive at all in this football series. They lost forty-four to fifteen, and it was it was embarrassing. And it was an opportunity in which uh, Eric kind of talked about the stat earlier, but it was the third straight game in which Oregon came into this series ranked. Arizona was not. And the Wildcats walked away with a win. You know, it started in two thousand thirteen down in Tucson. Oregon was blown out again in embarrassing fashion, forty two to sixteen. Uh the following year, two thousand fourteen, uh October, early October game, I remember that. Oregon was second in the country. Uh they were high in sky trying to play for a number one seed in the college football playoff. They lost thirty one to twenty four in Eugene, and then last year as always number nineteen they lost 44 to 15. Scary deal for Oregon because um interesting thing here is if you look at this series when Oregon's a top 10 team and they've played Arizona the last few years, they've lost three straight. It start it starts in in uh 2014, Oregon lost that game. 2003 they were number 2 in the country, they lost. Arizona was unranked. The year before, two, th- 2013, Oregon was 5th. And they lost to an unranked Arizona team. They did win, uh, as a top 10 team in 2011, 56 to 31. But then again, in 2007, they were number two in the country and they lost 34 to 24. So, uh, they've played Arizona as a top 10 team when Arizona's unranked four, you know, four times since 2007. And they've lost three of them. Um, a lot of players on this year's team have talked a lot about last year's gloss and not letting that happen again. And, uh, Eric, you wrote a really good story because you, you kind of talked a lot, a lot with offense, defense, coaches about that game. And just what was the overlaying theme of that story?
1: Well, I think the first thing was, <clears throat> That they don't expect it's going to happen again. Um, You know, talking to Shane Lemieux, senior offensive lineman, he's been here for a while. He said that even he and Cristobal exchanged words prior to kickoff in Tucson in the locker room, basically like something doesn't feel right. And he said that that sort of came together because during the week of practice leading up to that game, it it felt off. You know, we should mention it it was the week after the Washington State game where. Uh, things really didn't go their way. They had, you know, obviously beaten Washington the week prior and it looked like everything was kind of setting up for them to maybe be a kind of a year like this year where they win the Pac-12 North and, and play for a Rose Bowl and then they go out and lose to Washington State and there's maybe a lack of focus and practice that week. And even prior to kickoff, like I said, there was kind of a sense of like, this is sort of something's not quite right here. Um, and, and you know, I think a pretty good quote here from Jalen Redd of, I've got a very vivid picture in my head of what occurred last year. I'm looking forward to this one. So I think there is a certainly no one's forgetting what happened last year, and they kind of pointed to it as a point of kind of where the culture has changed a little bit. I mean, this year has been so much about trying to be one and zero each day. That's kind of the the, the, the term they're using. Uh, it's very similar, obviously, to win the day from the Chip Kelly era, but being one and zero every day, winning every day, and then winning every Saturday is kind of their formula right now, and uh, you know, speaking with Cristobal, he just says that everyone is so much more dialed in every week and that, that there is a, a different feel in terms of just kind of their preparation leading up to these games. And he says that comes from just everybody on the team knowing each other and and caring about each other. You know, he says that they made sure this offseason to spend a lot of time together, whether it was trips to the coast to go dune buggy riding or top golf in Portland or attending I think they said Blazers and Timbers games. Uh, just finding ways to uh, be together and, and kind of learn about each other and, and make sure uh, that they're on the same page. And I, I think a great quote that he gave at the very end uh, of yesterday or of Wednesday's press conference was, "Playing with each other as opposed to playing for each other." That is a monumental difference between the two. So uh, I, I think that's a big part of it. Like I know, I know it sounds like cliche to say that. There are changes made that you don't see on the field that happen, you know, in practice and stuff like that. I, I generally buy into that. In terms of like a lot of what happens on in the off season when they're grinding, you know, in, in the heat of August, um, and I think that sort of comes comes together with this team. There's been it, it feels just talking with the players uh, that, that they just feel like they're more of a, there's more uni- unity. They're they're unified. Yeah. They've got the same the same message. So I think that was a big part of. Kind of what's going on here, and and, that, and that's part of why like you ran through all those stats, and I'm sure it could be a thing where maybe history repeats itself. But I also just feel like this Oregon team is built differently; they're wired differently, and I really would be shocked and stunned if they come out and, and lay a dud because they haven't laid an egg all year. I, I was I just gonna really, say that
0: we we haven't really seen anything from that.
1: Like where the Cal like game, the Cal game maybe like that was the one where they didn't play good in the first half, but they I mean that's the only thing close to that really
0: yeah like there, there's not a game out there where you're just like for the entirety of the football game it's like they were off the whole game they just played bad the entire game they didn't look prepared at all they didn't, they didn't give the effort like you can't say that about any of these games and, and and look you know a couple guys this week said that you know Herbert being one of them uh that the first bye week you know kind of led to some of the guys letting up a little bit and it it, it led to some sloppy play, uh, against California with three first half turnovers and, and whatnot. Um, but they've all said they've, you know, they've all corrected that. Um, offensive players said that Sunday's practice was extremely crisp. Guys were really fired up to play, uh, and, and were really happy with how they came out of that bye week practicing. Um, so like, I, I think that's a huge thing is that, I mean, Chip Kelly, when he was at Oregon, he developed the win the the day mentality. Like you're you're only focused on today's effort. And while Cristobal doesn't have you know a a catchy slogan, he's essentially developed that same mentality at Oregon. And it's just you would you would love to see the win the day mantra come back. It's just never going to happen because you're you're a different coach with a different style, different you know whatever. And you don't want to associate yourself with the previous coaching staff that you have no ties to, um, and it's not a negative way. It's just you're building your own brand, and so, but it's essentially the same thing. Like they've they've really bought into that mentality of you need to worry about today and today only, and if you do that, you will have a chance in every game you play, and we're seeing that play out.
1: Absolutely, and and, that, and I think that's part of why like. We run through all the stats, and Arizona does feel like kind of a scary team to a certain degree, even though, like I said earlier, they're like Oregon is clearly the better team. But I just think this Oregon team is kind of built different, and, and I would be stunned if it's a game where like, – I'm not going to say Arizona's not going to come out and play inspired football because I, I kind of think that's going to happen, and I wouldn't be shocked if maybe Arizona does have some success at times in this football game. But I'm going to be really surprised if Oregon at least doesn't have an answer and at least doesn't come out and, and, and show that they are the better team, because I think they are, and I think they know they are, and they know how much is on the line. And they, I think it just talking with players, they felt so much more dialed in than they did a year ago, and they said all the right things. So I, I'm not expecting a situation here where it is a repeat, and Oregon, again, as a top-10-ranked team, falls to, to Arizona.
0: All right, let's take a quick break. We come back, we'll give our keys to the game, uh, make some bold predictions and then also make our final prediction of a score outcome for this football game. All right. Welcome back to the odds and audibles podcast. I'm Matt Brahim. Eric Scopo is with me as always. Uh, real quick before we dive into our kind of our bold hot take ish predictions for this game. Um, I'm looking at this football game between Arizona and Oregon, and I I, I see one of the keys for me is going to be having this football team play mistake-free and kind of dominate the first down on both sides of the football because if Oregon, whether it's throwing the football or or running the football on first down, if they can put themselves in second and short situations, we're going to see a game in which Oregon's going to have a huge blowout. You know, I I just – And on the defensive side of the ball, if Oregon can get, you know, get the Wildcats off schedule and be faced with second and nine, second and eight, second and 10, second and 11, second and 12, that sets up the likelihood that you're going to face a third and long situation. And this Arizona team is just a not, they are, they are good offensively. Sure. There's, there's no way around that. They're, they are 47th in the conference in third down conversions. That's the best in the conference. So they, they know how to convert, you know, third downs. They know, um, what they're doing when it, when it comes to these types of downs and situations and, and whatnot. So you've got to be able to put yourself into a situation where they have to, cre- you know, convert on third and long. And more often than not, Oregon's defense, uh, on third down is one of the best in the conference, their second best, 35% conversion rate. So I look at this and say, win on first down on offense, win on first down in defense, and you're more than likely going to be put your, putting yourself in a position where this game could get out of hand.
1: And I think another thing for me in terms of, like, Oregon winning this game is I really think the only way Arizona beats Oregon is if Oregon beats itself, yes. if I'm just being honest. And, like, I think you can't come out – and Oregon is really, really good at protecting the football this year. I was just looking up the stat before the podcast. The Ducks actually are the top in the country in terms of turnover margin. They forced 20 turnovers. They've only given the ball up six times all season. Two of those are interceptions. Four of those um, are all lost fumbles. I think only one time all year they had more than two turnovers, and that was that weird Cal game where they threw a pick, and then Travis Dye fumbled it twice in the first half on consecutive possessions. Um the only way I see Arizona winning this game is if it's kind of a weird repeat of that Cal game where Oregon just can't get out of its own way. Justin Herbert has an uncharacteristically bad day throwing the football. The running backs fumble it. Wide receivers make mistakes. Maybe there's something happens on special teams. I think it's going to have to be kind of the perfect storm of, of just self-inflicted wounds for Arizona to have much of a chance against Oregon. And I just don't see that happening. But that, to me, that would be really the only... uh The only way I could see this going that way is if Oregon just doesn't play very smart. And maybe another thing is like if they don't improve on penalties and they extend Arizona drives with pass interferences or like we saw against USC, a bunch of knucklehead, you know, kind of targeting, personal foul after the play, you know, after the, after the play hits, you know, that kind of stuff. Those are the kind of things where like, I just don't think you can do that. You might be able to still win the football game because you're just so much better than Arizona, but like you just, those are the things I think you have to kind of try to minimize and, and avoid is you don't want to make a bunch of turnovers. You don't want to make a bunch of silly mistakes that benefit Arizona or hurt your own drives. I should say, if, if Oregon has the football and they, you know, and a couple of touchdowns or big plays are negated by holding or, or offensive pass interferences or just silly mistakes, those are the type of things you have to, to avoid. And coming off a of bye week, I would think Oregon's going to be much more dialed in on the penalty things. I have to think that was a huge priority all yeah. week, especially because they, again, like a month ago, Oregon was the best team in the conference in terms of penalties, and now they're at the very bottom of the league. So I think that's going to be something that's a priority. And, again, I just think if you cut those things out, I really don't see a, a, a landmark, um, or I should say a map, to Arizona beating Oregon.
0: One other one could be just how does Oregon fare against the zone read? You know, Andy Avalos this week talked about how, you know, they really haven't faced a team that runs the zone read with the quarterback all that often, uh, this season. And they will face that this weekend against the Wildcats. Obviously, JJ Taylor is a really good running back. He's ninth in the conference right now in, in rushing yards with just 566. But I mean, he, he exploded for like two something against Oregon last year. He's had a down year this season, but he's a, he's a good back. Uh, they've also got, um, Gary Brightwell at running back, who's 13th in the conference. He's got five touchdowns and over 300 and almost 350 on the ground. Khalil Tate's certainly a threat to run if he plays at quarterback. Uh, Nathan Tilford's another running back who's played in seven games. Uh, and he's ran for 222 yards. So Arizona's got a lot of running backs uh, that that they use in this football game. And seeing how Oregon handles the zone read with Khalil Tate could also be a big deal. I mean, maybe that's how they say in this game is all of a sudden going back to 2017 Khalil Tate and letting him run the football. We should
1: mention Arizona second in the Pac-12 in rushing. uh, Actually, ahead of Oregon, they've averaged about 196 yards running, which is actually fairly impressive considering that they've been down so much in a lot of these games and having to throw. Here's a question for you, Matt. Would you prefer, because we should say, like, and it could be possession by possession, like, Arizona, Andy Abelos said basically, I don't want to say they have two offenses, but when Khalil Tate's out there, it's very much a zone read offense. When Grant Gunnell is out there, it's kind of the air raid offense. Which, which, what do you think Oregon would prefer to see more of? Do you think they'd rather see air raid considering how that was such a, you know, that was, that was tough for Oregon to defend, especially against Washington State and at times against USC. Or would they rather see the zone read, which like you just said is something they haven't maybe faced very much this year?
0: I think you would probably rather see the air raid because I don't think Arizona's receivers are anywhere near the level that USC has. I mean, it's just not even close in my mind. I mean, they don't have, Arizona doesn't have a single guy in the conference ranked inside the top 20 for receiving yards, uh, their highest guy is a freshman, Jamari Joyner, who leads the team with, uh, 366 catches, uh, or yards receiving. You know, like they, they, they're just not a, they don't have a, the, that threat at the receiving uh, position. They've got a couple guys that are over 300 yards, or actually four of them. Um, but they're nowhere near the level of, of wash, of, of USC. They're never close to, to Washington states. And I don't think their quarterback, if it's Tate, is all that impressive in terms of throwing the football in that type of a situation where, you know, pocket passer and, and whatnot. You know, Grant Gunnell, I think is decent, looks solid, looks like he's got a lot of potential. Um, but I, I, I just see that and just think I want Arizona to throw the football and throw it a ton if I'm Oregon. Uh, I, I will live and die by Khalil Tate or Grant Gunnell, whoever it is at quarterback, slinging the rock left and right fifty times in a football game. Uh, if, if if they run, if they if they can establish the run and, and and be able to run the football, then that makes things interesting for me.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. Although I will say that if it is Grant Gunnell, that will be interesting to see how they handle that. I don't think Oregon necessarily, obviously, I haven't seen him in person. Um, Verona Kinley. Uh, on Wednesday, compared him to Big Ben. That's somebody McKinley faced Gunnell a couple times in, in high school, so there's a little bit of history there. Um, he's been pretty effective this season, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think if you force him to be one-dimensional throwing the football, that probably that's probably better off for Oregon.
0: All right, let's dive into now our bold predictions. I will start first. We'll all have five. Uh, Justin Herbert continues his run. I've done this every week. And it, 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 it's hit almost every week. Uh, Justin mm-hmm. Herbert continues his run of throwing touchdown passes to new players. Uh, last few weeks he's connected with Micah Pittman, Jawan Williams. I think Arizona's pass defense will be suspect in large part because of their, their pass rush. Um, so I, I think Herbert's going to have a big day on the ground. It could be CJ Verdell. It could be Josh Delgado. It could be Cyrus Avilaquillo. Maybe even Patrick Herbert. I think. Uh, another player on Oregon's roster catches a touchdown pass for the first time uh from Justin Herbert and that list goes from 24 players to 25
1: I'm, I'm something along the same lines here we should start by saying like Arizona is second to worst in the country in terms of allowing passing yardage they've allowed 313 yards per game via the pass that is a terrible Not terrible good. number i mean like To put that in perspective, like Oregon doesn't even average close to that number, and Oregon has a pretty good passing offense. Like Oregon is 34th in the country right now in passing yards, and they've only averaged 275 yards. And Arizona, like I said, has actually given up more than that by 40 yards per game this season. So I'm with you. I think this could be a big passing day for Justin Herbert just because you're going against a terrible passing defense. And like Jason Shearer said yesterday, it doesn't necessarily mean that the secondary is terrible. He was saying it's in large part because there's just no pass rush. I think... Herbert has his best yardage passing game of the season. His previous best is 316 earlier this season in a non-conference play. I think he throws for close to 400 yards. I wouldn't be shocked if he gets there. I could just see this being a game where there's some fireworks in a passing game. We kind of started seeing that with Jawan Johnson last week. They've now had an extra week to kind of build up on that. I could see Jawan having a big game. I could see uh, Jalen Redd, who's been explosive all year. I could see Johnny Johnson maybe making some big plays. But I just think this is a game where... Oregon's going to have a ton of success throwing the ball, and I think Herbert uh, sets a new season best for, for passing yards and, and surpasses the 316 he had this year earlier um, against Nevada.
0: Mine was also, my second one was also a, a big passing game for Justin Herbert. Uh, I, I think uh, this is going to be his season high. It, it's currently 316 yards, uh, at, which was against Montana. Um, he had 310 uh, against, sorry, he, did he throw for, yeah, yeah, 310 against Nevada. Yeah, I and got then, those
1: backwards earlier. I got that backwards. Yeah. yeah and then 360, last 360.
0: year against Stanford, uh, he went for 346, uh, Nebraska, which is his, his second highest total ever, 365 in 2017. Uh, and then Arizona State, his freshman year, he threw for 489. Not exactly sure uh, if he's, if he's going to go for 489. But it, I, I think he's going to have his highest passing total of the season. I think there is going to be uh, a little bit of showcasing, if you will, for Justin Herbert down the stretch.
1: You know, it's interesting, kind of just looking through Herbert's, you know, in you know game by game stats. Like he, he doesn't have as many 300 yard passing games as you might expect. Like he had two this he has season. Seven. Yeah, I was going to say he had two last year. Like he, he doesn't have. This, but you think with just kind of the arm talent and, and kind of how good at. I guess we should say just recently that they, they've been pretty good throwing the football. It, it's interesting he hasn't gotten more than 300 yards more frequently. I think he'll make it an eighth game over 300 um, on Saturday.
0: Real real quick, real quick, yeah. real quick. So against Washington State, he completed 70% of his passes. Against USC, he completed 80% of his passes. Are you buying that he stays above the 70% threshold for a third straight week?
1: Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, that, that wasn't one of my bold predictions, but I, I I just think it. at times it could look easy for Oregon throwing the football. Um, again, Arizona has been just terrible defensively, basically in every way, but in particular in, ter- in terms of defending the pass. And Herbert is kind of, you know, I know he didn't have a touchdown against Washington State throwing, but you look at he's been really consistent for the most part this season throwing the football in terms of the completion percentage. That was a big knock on him. As you would remember, especially last year, I and mean, we know he dealt with a lot of drops last year, but he didn't even complete 60% of his passes a year ago, 59.4. This year he's completed 69.4. That's a 10% point, um, improvement over one season. And he's like, he's having a significantly better season. He's clearly having his best season as an Oregon quarterback. He's already close to having more touchdowns than he had last year. He only has two interceptions, which we should say over his career, it's been a strength. You know, he only had 17 interceptions in three seasons coming in. He has two this season. Um, I, I just think he's going to continue down the stretch here, against, especially against Arizona, which is a really, really bad pass defense. I think he's going to have a really big game there. Um, my second one, I think Oregon scores 45 or more points for the third time in Pac-12 play. Uh, uh, they've scored 45 against Colorado. They scored 56 against USC. Um, and Arizona allows 37 points per game this season, which is, again, terrible. And in this four-game losing streak that the Wildcats are currently on, it's 43.3 points per game that they're allowing. I mean, it's not outside of the realm of possibility. I don't even know if this is a bold prediction, considering how bad Arizona's been defensively. But I'm going to have it here because, for Oregon, it's kind of been a rarity this season to get over the 45-point threshold. I think they do it because I just think this Arizona defense is really, really bad. And, again, I think – Herbert contributes to it. I think the running game is going to have some success too. I just think offensively it's going to be a big day for the Ducks.
0: Alright, my third one. Uh, Oregon has two receivers go over 100 yards receiving. I'm, I'm, I'm big on the pass game this week, obviously. Uh, That's Herbert true. completing a touchdown pass to a new name. Herbert going over 316 yards passing. Now I have two guys with two 100 yard games. Uh, I think Oregon's going to have a big game. I think Juwan Johnson will be one of them. Uh the other one could could be a plethora of guys. It it might be Jalen Redd, it might be Johnny Johnson, it might be Micah Pittman. Uh somebody will will be the second guy to go over one hundred yards receiving in a football game.
1: All right. Another one here from me. Uh, I think Grant Gunnell gets the start. Uh I, I you know, talking with Jason that kind of on, on Thursday's show, it kind of felt like that was where things were trending. I think it, it makes some sense in terms of if you're Arizona, you kind of recognize it's very unlikely that you're going to go bowling this season. You basically have to – well, you would not have to win out, but you have to beat two of the best teams in the conference here in, in Oregon uh, and Utah. And then you have Arizona State in the last game. Now, that's a, a tall task to, to ask of them. Um, I think they're going to go with the young guy and kind of say, hey, we're building towards the future. We're going to give him a chance here down the stretch to start these last three games. I think he starts – I think Oregon picks him off twice, but I also think he has two passing touchdowns. I think I – think, I do think Arizona – Is going to score a little bit. Um, They do have one of the better offenses, like we said, in the Pac-12. They have been even fairly prolific during this losing streak. Obviously, they're losing games by significant margins. The defense has been terrible, but the offense has at least been kind of respectable. And we've seen Oregon have some trouble with pass-heavy offenses this season. I mean, really, the last three games Oregon has played, they've played offenses like that, and they've, they've obviously won all those games, but they've had moments where they haven't looked very good. So I think, and is going to throw the ball a ton in part because I think Oregon's offense is going to get them up by a lot. And I don't think this is going to be a particularly competitive game, but I think he's going to throw a lot. I think he's going to be picked off twice, but I also think there's going to be some success and they'll get a couple passing touchdowns on this Oregon secondary, um, which would be, I think what the fourth straight game with at least two touchdown passes um, against the secondary.
0: I think they're also going to, we're going to see a lot of Grant Ganell as well in this football game. Um, I think Oregon's going to kind of go with the same mentality of creating pressures early and getting into the head uh of a freshman quarterback like they did against USC and Keaton Slovis the, two weeks ago. Um, Oregon leads the conference in interceptions with 17. Um, the national level uh for for Oregon, they are first in the country. You know, they they are the best team uh out there right now. In creating turnovers. Uh, they have three more than Minnesota, Tennessee, Florida, San Jose State, and Florida Atlantic who are tied for uh, second with 14. Uh, they've got four more than the next team, who is Cincinnati or Texas Tech, with 13. I think Grant Gannell is going to be a good quarterback, but I I look at Oregon's defense. I look at the pressures that they created, the confusion that they created for Keaton Slovis. And we're going to see a replication of that. So just like you, you said two interceptions. I think Oregon's defense is going to create three or more, two of which will be interceptions in this football game. And that's going to be, I think, the difference in this football game and and why Oregon – I'm kind of giving away my prediction here, but this is why I think Oregon's going to win this one in a blowout fashion because the defense is opportunistic once again and creates multiple turnovers.
1: I, I like the, the point that you made about kind of following a similar game plan to what they did against Keaton Slovis. Of you're just going to hit him a bunch. You're going to get after him a bunch. You're going to make him uncomfortable. Uh I don't know if you want to rough him as much as Oregon. I mean, Oregon's Troy Dye knocked him over twice on one play and got a penalty. Uh, they had a couple other times where they hit him late. Um, I don't think you want to get flagged for that stuff against Arizona, but I could see it be a thing where you're just trying to land as many body blows as you can on the young quarterback and kind of get in his head as much as possible. My fourth one, I think Oregon scores another non-offensive touchdown. Um, They didn't have very many on the season coming into the USC game, but they scored twice. Uh, Brady Breeze had the pick six. McHale Wright had the kickoff return for a touchdown. Um, I think they're going to get in the end zone again, a a non-offensive player whether it be special teams, whether it be defense. Um, I could see it being a pick six. I could see it being, I mean, I still feel like Javon Hollins, I've kind of been waiting for him to take one back all year. I could see that being a thing that that happens. He's so explosive with the ball in his hands. He's been really good in that part of the game all year. He just has broken one. He got really close against Auburn. And ever since, he's had a couple that have, you know, kind of put Oregon in plus territory, like maybe around the 25 or 30-yard line. But he hasn't gotten one. Uh, he hasn't gotten over the top and gotten to the end zone yet. I think I could see that happening. I just think Oregon is going to score a ton of points in this game. And I think at least one or one of those is going to come when Oregon does not have the ball on offense. All
0: right. My last one for me, Uh Oregon scored 69 points against Oregon state two years ago in the civil war. Uh And for a, a conference game, that's the most points that the ducks have scored uh in at least, I think, five years, 2015, they may – it may go back farther. I've, I've – i, I I'm, I'm really struggling to find a game in, in the Pac-12 in which Oregon scored uh, more than 69 points against Arizona. I'm not going to say Oregon scores 69, but I think Oregon will have their highest scoring total in conference play – uh since that 69 point performance at uh, at home against Oregon State in the Civil War. I think Oregon's going to put up a ton of points. Um they they scored 56 last week against USC or two I should say 2 weeks ago against USC and that's the most points that Oregon has scored in a conference game since that date of 2007. So I I I think my my opinion is going to be that uh Oregon is going to score uh they're going to break you know the second most record the second most points in a Pac-12 conference game since 2007, uh, when they go over 56 against the Arizona Wildcats.
1: Along the same lines, um, you asked me. I think it was on on Monday's show of what I thought of the 24 point spread that was in Oregon's favor. It's now moved to 27 and a half, which is <laughs> significant. And that's that's a ton of points. I think Oregon's going to cover it. I know. I know. I know. When I first saw it, I was like, boy, that's a huge number, but the more we get through this week, you know, it's interesting. Sometimes the more we get through this week, the more research I do, the more we talk to the opposing uh, school's beat writer, I kind of start going like, oh, boy, this one could be I, – I guess I get a little bit more nervous. I get a little bit more like, oh, boy, maybe this could go the other way. It's been kind of the opposite this week. The more of a deep dive I've gone into Arizona, and maybe this is like cause for concern that I'm like too overconfident here, but I, I just think Arizona's not very good, and I think Oregon is playing – with a chip on its shoulder with the knowledge that they have to win these games and that they need to do it at a, at a high level. And I think they realize that like, look, if they win this game by like five points, that's going to be something that the committee might use against them. Or at least, I mean, you, at least you're going to hear that from the talking heads for a while of, man, they played this Arizona team that lost by 18 points at home to Oregon state two weeks ago. And then Oregon at home barely beat them. Like what's wrong with Oregon? Do you remember? I just remember when Oregon was in that position back in 2010 and, they barely beat California. I think they won that game by like two points, and I just remember course touchdown. over though. and over. Yeah, and, and I just remember course, Corso. I think no, it was uh, it was Lou Holtz. Just kept going. Ah, oh, Oregon's not that great. Look, I mean, they barely beat California. I, I think unfortunately, it doesn't isn't just uh, the the fact that you win the game at this point. It's kind of a beauty contest, and I think Oregon kind of knows it needs to win this game impressively. And I don't want to say they're going to run the score up on Arizona, but I don't think they're going to hold back either. I don't no, expect that they're going to be up.
0: It's going to be one of those games in which, you know, they, they could be leading 35-7 to, to seven at halftime, and instead of going into the third quarter, hey, let's run the ball, milk the clock, get out of here. You know, it it, it could, you know, and they're still having their first string in there. It's, no, we're going to still throw the football.
1: Yeah, and, I could, and that's what I could see it being, a game where Oregon's up and dominant the whole way through. I think they cover the spread <clears> of <throat> 27 and a half, which is a really large number, but I think they get there, and uh, that kind of leads us into our game predictions in a second here. Should I go first, Matt, or do you want to go? Go ahead. I'll go ahead and take the first shot at this. Um, I wonder if we'll be close again. I have Oregon winning 51 to 21. Um, I think it's the second most points they score in a conference game, obviously the first most being against USC. Uh, the third most all season when you include that 77 points they scored against Nevada in week two. Uh, we kind of ran through a lot of what I expect to have happen. I think the Ducks are going to throw the ball effectively. I think it's a big day for Justin Herbert in the air. I think it's a big day for the running backs. I think the defense maybe gives up some yards, maybe gives up some points, but also forces some turnovers and maybe scores some points of its own. I think Oregon is flat out better than Arizona. I think they know that. I think they want to atone from what was a devastating and really kind of an embarrassing loss last year. Like to lose to a team that didn't even make a bowl by four scores uh when you're in the midst of, at the time, a potential Pac-12 North championship run. That was super disappointing. I think they want to atone for that. I think they do, and I think they win in very dominant fashion.
0: We're we're pretty close. We're pretty close. We should always. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you know. We don't compare notes before we, 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 do these things. Uh, I said, I'm gonna say, uh, Oregon's gonna score their most points in a Pac-12 conference game since 2017 when they scored, uh, 69 against Oregon State in the Civil War. Uh, Oregon's gonna score 59 points. I have them scoring a lot in wow. this football game. Uh, and they're gonna, they are gonna more than cover. Cause I'm with you. I think there's gonna be some style points put Put down in this football game. Uh, and I also think that the bye week's gonna help. They're gonna be pretty, you know, focused in, dialed in, healthy, playing clean football. So I got Oregon winning this football game 59 to 17. I think it's not even gonna be close. Uh, it, it might may be, it may be close in the, in the first quarter. It, it may be midway through the second, but I think eventually Oregon's gonna wear this team down. Uh, and there's gonna be a lot of, of scoring in this one. I just, I have zero confidence in Arizona's defense being able to, to go toe to toe with, with Oregon's offense and in particular, Justin Herbert, maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but I I'm, I'm expecting a, a really big offensive performance from Oregon this weekend.
1: Yeah. Gonna, I, I think we'll run the same page for sure.
0: It's going to do it for us here on the odds and audibles podcast. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you, uh, Stay warm out there. It's going to be a cold night, Saturday night, if you're going to Dodson Stadium. Hopefully you check out duckterritory.com before, during, and after the football game. Uh Eric and I will be there as always. Uh So, for Eric Scopo and myself, Matt Priem, thank you for listening to the Dodson Audible's podcast. Adios, goes.